kids can, can head up. I just want to stay in that place of worship. Stay in that place of, Lord, this is my heart. When we gather together, he's asking for more than a song. He's asking for more than just activity. He's asking for our hearts. I do want to also remind, remind us, and this, this, is the, this is the time for transition, um, but as a church family, we're, we're learning some things. Maybe as pastors, we're learning some things. I don't think it's anything shocking, but uh, when we meet with the Lord, if attention upon Him is the starting blocks of worship, then we want to do our best to take away any kind of distractions. Uh, we got kids, right? They're going to be a distraction. That's just going to be the nature of the beast. We'll, we'll have to kind of just like smile at those things and say, help me, Lord, uh, at times. Um, but in terms of just the simple stuff, if you're getting up to grab a glass of water and it's just like you're just moving to move, please don't. If you need to stretch the legs or you got pains in your body or something like that, feel free to do what you got to do. But don't let it just be for nothing. Um, what's at stake there is the attention upon the Lord. He loves to inhabit the praises of his people. Okay, so he's the one he's meeting with us. This is not theoretical. This is not just going through a religious exercise. And if it's just going through a religious exercise, then unnecessary distraction, you know, what's the big idea? Uh, Distraction isn't an issue. But if we believe by faith that he's with us, that his presence is residing here, we don't want to distract from that. He's a consuming fire for a reason. He demands our attention. And so we just want to be careful not to confuse those moments. And he will give us, it's so, he's so kind at times to give us these moments in worship where we are far more aware of him than ourselves. I love that. I love it. I just, I can't stop thanking the Lord for those moments. Because it is, it is heavenly bliss <laughs> to just be focused on him. And not feel like I'm wrestling and still like trying to kill all the distractions in me. <laughs> it's just freedom. And that's another point. Like, don't we have enough distractions inwardly? We don't need to multiply that outwardly. <laughs> uh, we need to give him his due place among ourselves. I'm going to ask you to turn to Luke chapter 9. Familiar passage. Luke chapter 9. Um, verses 23 through 26. As you turn there, Matthew 9, 23 through 26. Um, I do want to just... Matthew Luke. Oh, sorry. Luke, please. Yeah. Luke. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 26. I'm not distracted at all. <laughs> um, before jumping into that, what I do want to do is just make a few comments, do a little review of where we've been in this series, and then I was hoping to get far more done this morning, but I, I think it's good to just keep in pace with, the, with what the Lord gives us. Um, so, I, want to, I just want to say first, um, last week I was thrilled to have the conversation that we had as a church family. Uh, because a lot of those feelings have been kind of on the back burner. You know things are boiling over at times and things are getting a little intense, but it's never just brought to the forefront. And we needed to get those things on the table. And so I'm really, I was thrilled with that opportunity last week. I saw that as a grace upon us as a church family. Um, and just so you know, we're kind of progressively setting up conversations to engage folks uh, related to that conversation, and so uh, until we get around to, ev you know, everyone, uh, and by the way, if we're not coming after you, and you're like, well, a conversation hasn't happened with me, that's okay. Just, uh, if, if you feel like there needs to be, please reach out, 
but we're going to kind of go with reaching out to those that we feel like need the conversations sooner than later. Um, but even, even so, uh, as, we, as we are progressing through that, I want to be clear that even this morning in preaching, I'm, I'm not... We might have to shut those windows. I don't know. I don't know. Folks are going down the wrong way on Walker. and Yeah, yeah. It's good. Uh, I want to be straight um, that as we preach, I'm not preaching to an empty room. I'm preaching to you. You are who God has entrusted to this church family. And so I'm not going to beat around the bush. I'm not going to pretend like last week's conversation didn't happen. Uh, and again, personal conversation needs to happen. But I'm, I'm going to preach into that. I'm going to speak into that. We're not just going to kind of say, oh, nothing happened, and let's just kind of fix things on the, on the backside. And so I will say some things quite directly to some of the things that were mentioned last week. And I, I hope I'm fair. I hope I'm clear. I hope I'm biblical in approaching that. But before getting to some of those specifics, I, I do just want to do a little bit of review, kind of stay on track. Although we'll be addressing some things related to the conversation, I want to stay on track. And so we're continuing this series, what we call a people of his presence. And again, this series kind of contributes to our updated membership content. And so the aim of this sermon series, again, just to review, on one hand is to establish our membership or reestablish it, firm it up. Um, it, we've gone through a lot of transition over the last couple years, and so we just want to kind of rein things in. But on the other hand, it's also our aim to unify our church in a common aim, a common vision to see the presence of God pleased to dwell in our midst. So uh, with that, by review again, uh, we, we approached the question a few weeks ago, what is the church? Um, and, you know, if we're thinking about membership and our commitments to what we call the church, we should probably know what the church is. So that's where we started. And we saw that the church, as God has determined it, not as people define it out there, but as God determines it from Scripture, that the church is primarily a people. It's not a steeple, it's not a stone structure, it's a, it's a people, and in particular, it's a blood-bought people. Even the word ecclesia, it's the called-out ones. It's those who have gone from something now to something, called from something, called into something. And the idea then is that the church is all those, even we could say from all time, who by faith in God have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. They've been taken out of their old way of life, the old man brought into this new way of life, into the new man of Christ Jesus. It is all those from all time who by faith in God have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. The church then, and this is just kind of adding a few things along the way for clarity's sake, the church is both visible and invisible, right? If the church is all people from all time that have been bought by the blood of Christ, it is visible and invisible. It's invisible in the sense some, some of our brothers and sisters already are in glory, right? So, so we don't see them, but they're nonetheless the church, right? They're invisible in that sense. And furthermore, within the church, and Scripture's very clear about this, not everyone who says they are the church are the church. Only God sees the nature of hearts. And so within every church, I'll say it that way, there are wheat and tares. There are those who actually belong and those who only say they belong. And that's not to like, like, oh no, you know, what it is. it's not to like spur on some sort of like fear and anxiety. It's just the reality. That's what the church is. It's a mixed bag, if you will, here on earth. And therefore, it's invisible. But it's also visible. And, and so that's, that's kind of the idea then. If we do have steeples and structures, we do have banners that say, 
we're a church, right? So there is a, an idea in which we are visible to the world. We would call ourselves Christians, and as Christians, we are the church and a visible expression of it. We would also say that the church is local and it's global, right? There's one bride that Jesus gets. I just love it. One bride, and it's global. That was the promise. Jesus said, this mission is going to go global, right? And I'm going to have a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. One bride, one people. And so this is a global entity, but of course it has local expression. And so we got brothers and sisters just down the street, right? It's amazing. It's wonderful. We get to do this thing of representing Jesus and being a place that he is pleased to dwell, there's local expressions of that. Once again, the church then, it is all those from all time who by faith in God have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Now, again, review. The church is described throughout scripture in various ways. It's a body, right? Members of a body. It is family. It is a bride. It is a temple. And each description of the church carries nuanced definition for who she is and what she is to do, right? So it carries both identity and activity. So if we're to emphasize the fact that she is a body or family, for instance, we will probably be more primarily talking about our responsibilities to one another. All right. If we uh, think about the church as a bride or a temple, we'll probably be referring to issues related to our relationship with the Lord. Right? So it's, it's who we are, but also now our responsibilities. What are we to be doing, either with one another or with God? Now, there's a description of the church that we have chosen to give primary attention to. We don't want to lose all that other teaching, but there is one particular thing that I think needs something of reclaiming, and that is the fact that we as Mercy Gate, in particular, recognize ourselves as a priesthood. Right? And the idea of a priesthood we saw from Revelation chapter 5, verse 10, it is the church is a kingdom and priest. First Peter would say we are a royal priesthood. And so that is who we are, but that also means fundamentally that our duty or our activity is to minister to the Lord. He is primary. Our aim is to worship him, to please him, to minister to him as he would desire. To make, it is to make our hearts and these gatherings, again, a pleasing place for him to come and dwell. Now, uh, just to add in, in there, um, many, many, would, many would say, of course the church is this worshiping people, right? I don't know anywhere you would go in evangelical Christianity where, that, where people wouldn't be, yep, that's who we are. We are fundamentally a worshiping people. But I, I also want to stress a nuance to the fact that we are worshiping people, the nuance is that God really wants to reveal himself to us. Catch it? He wants to reveal himself to us. The way we've talked about it is worship or, or ministry to God is never a one-way street. He wants to pull back the Clark Kent suit. Boom! I'm Superman, child. I'm Superman, this is who I am for you. He wants to reveal himself to us, which means that as we gather, there should be expectation. Not only are we here to give our hearts as an offering to him, not only are we here to say, Lord, all of me, for all of you, but he's now coming to say, oh, here I am. There should be uh, something of an expected experience with God as we gather together. You say, well, how, how, how is that shared in Scripture? Well, like we talked about Psalm 27 last week in our call to worship, he says, seek my face. Okay, if someone says, Dave, seek my face, you would assume that there's something for me to do to get to you 
with the expectation you would have an encounter with my face. That's the idea. It's not a theoretical thing. He's not just hanging out a carrot in front of us. He's saying, there is to be an encounter with me. You seek me, you're going to find me. You're going to see the beauty of my face. You're going to behold me. You're going to be taken up with who I am. Or there's another passage if you want to go New Testament. Uh, of course, James 4. We've been talking with the guys a bit about this the last couple months. And that is draw near to God and God will what? All right, so it's not a theory. It's not a theory that we gather together to seek him and then expect him to show up. We come with expectation. It's not theoretical. I'm done with theoretical Christianity. <laughs> right? I need the fountain of life. I can't live without him. I can't live without tasting him again, encountering him again. He calls us to seek him because he is one who intends to reveal himself to us. So he has promised and even said, here's how you come after me. And these are just some ways within the Christian life, particularly as it's related to the gathering. He says, I will inhabit your praises as you sing. He says, I will bind myself to the preached word when it goes forth. He's the one who says, I'm going to be present when even two or three of you come together in prayer. He is the one who says, I am going to be, and I haven't figured this out, I'm going to be mystically present in the sacraments. He says, I am going to be made manifest through the spiritual gifts. There is an encounter, in other words, to be had with God. He says, this is the way you need to worship me, but I'm going to come in those moments and reveal my face to you. How good he is. God must be the substance, the attraction, the portion, or even, as we've talked about, the oil. He's got to be the oil. Mercy Gate is fundamentally a priesthood who is actively seeking to make this a pleasing place for God to dwell. Uh, last week, then, James jumped into the values. We have, remember, three values, but those values take a certain priority. So first is vulnerable what? Anybody know? Communion. Communion. All right. Second is intentional. Community. And third is sacrificial mission. Good. So, and, and remember, as James said, there's a priority to these values. It's, as he illustrated, it's like the, the boom, a crane, the arm is going out, right? And it's one value that gives life and enablement to the other values. And so there's a priority here. There's a priority on that vulnerable communion with God. Uh, he gave the illustration of that kind of that boom, you know, uh, but scripture would give the image of the oil lamp. Right? It's the oil of God's presence that is stored up, if you will, through communion with him so that when pursued together, when he's pursued together as a church, it creates something of a common awe and fellowship in his presence that then is ignited by the Spirit so that we become together a light in the darkness. See how it works. But you don't rightly have community or mission without the oil of his presence, without communion with him. Everything is, if I could say it, impotent. Everything is impotent and left to man to manufacture. Should we not give ourselves to that vulnerable communion? As a church, should we not give ourselves to the responsibilities of being a priesthood, everything else falls. It short circuits everything. And again, I'd say it the way I see the church today, more broadly speaking, 
is that it has failed to pursue the Lord. It has failed to take on its priestly responsibilities, and therefore what we have to do is create all this attractiveness. All these things, all these events, doing all this stuff, right, which may have some worth and may be okay. It's not like, oh, that's bad. But if it's not coming from a place of oil, it's nothing but the manufacturing of men, which will one day, according to Paul, be judged and weighed. It will be burned with fire, and if it's wood, hay, and stubble, only the manufacturing of man, it will just be dust in the scales. We must be those who take up our responsibility as a priesthood, beginning with that vulnerable communion. Um, and by the way, just practically, that's why we canceled stuff uh, for the upcoming weeks. Instead of having uh, teaching content, instead of doing outreach stuff, um, with some of the tensions at play and with some of the lack of clarity, we just wanted to slow down and create space within our schedule to come and minister to the Lord. So Wednesdays and Thursdays from 6.30 to 8, we'll have maybe a musician or two just playing song. If you want to come in, come when you can. Leave when you want. Step on in. Have a time of just solitude. You can get away from the busyness. We want this place to just be a place where you can kind of, as it was said, decompress and just turn your attention. Again, that's starting blocks of worship. Turn your attention to the Lord. That's, that's, that's all that he's really asking, fundamentally. Minister to me. How, Lord? By turning your attention to me. <laughs> okay, that seems simple enough, right? So that's the time that we're going to have. Wednesdays, Thursdays, just kind of, if you want to come, if you're able to come, when you want to come, when you need to leave, like that time will be set uh, apart so you can come take advantage of it. Fridays will continue our normal kind of prayer time, uh, more corporate in nature. Um. To get to the content for this morning, um, if we've seen what the church is in general, considered who we are to be as Mercy Gate in particular, that priesthood, carrying out those values, then what is to be expected of me as a member of Mercy Gate or a potential member of Mercy Gate? Um, we have just three basic expectations. I only got to one this morning. All right. Um, and so we'll pick up the next two in the coming weeks. There's also further details that we'll talk about in, in the coming weeks as well. Uh, but there's just one expectation that I want to cover uh, this morning. But it's important before even diving into that to note these are not our expectations. The pastors have not established expectations for you, <laughs> as much as that might be a temptation for us. Uh, God sets the expectations. This is his house. We are his blood-bought people. He gets the right to say, this is what I want of you. Right? That, that is the covenant commitments that he's called us into by his blood. That, that's what he sacrificed. Don't think of it, and we'll get to this, don't think of it as, oh man, it's duty. You've missed it. You've missed it. And we'll look at why in just a few moments. All right? But these expectations are the Lord's. And, and just like then the priests in the Old Testament, remember, they had to put some work in. They had to, in a sense, build the altar. But it was God who had to bring the fire, right? And when God brought the fire, it was the priests who were responsible to do what? Keep it burning. Right? So our duty, the expectations, the responsibilities that God is calling us into are, are the preparatory things to see the altar put in place. With the expectation, Lord, you're going to come with your presence. And as you come, what now is my responsibility? To make sure this stays a pleasing place for God to dwell. You catch it? We tend to the fire of his prayer. That's who we are as priests. There's some duty, some work to do, and seeing the altar established, we can't 
We can't pull on heaven ourselves to make God come, but oh, we know his promises that he will, and he wants to. He's put those things before us. I will come with my presence. He says, seek my face. David says, your face will I seek, right? Because you've put the promise there. It's not theoretical. It's not just a dangling carrot. It's not just leading us into something of no encounter. God is promising there will be an encounter. My fire will come. And as I come, you are to tend to me. Continue to make this a pleasing place for me to dwell. And so when it comes to these just basic expectations, these responsibilities that God gives us as his church, we have to recognize that this is part of how we protect this place. Right? This is how we protect this place. So it remains a pleasing place for him to come and dwell. These expectations, these responsibilities, are not first for keeping people in the seats. Catch that? I, I, uh, I want these seats filled, but not at the risk of losing him. We're not here to worship people. We're here to worship him. Hallelujah. He gets the focus. He gets the effort. He's the one who gets to set the expectations and call us in. But it's these expectations that also protect his place among us. All right, so here it is. The one expectation. You ready? This is like super deep, super amazing, right? The first expectation for a member, for any member of a church, is active submission to Jesus. All right? It's almost like a Sunday school answer. <laughs> like, that's simple. Active submission to Jesus. It all begins with him. So let's look, real briefly, Luke 9, just a few um, observations there. Luke 9, verse 23. Here's Jesus, familiar stuff. He says, and he, and, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny who? Himself. himself. All right. And take up his what? Cross. Cross. How often? Daily. And follow who? Me. me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses... Oh. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, fills all the seats, and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Now, we are inevitably confused uh, with submission language, right? If our, if our number one responsibility as a church is to actively submit to Jesus, that word submission is not an easy one to swallow. Why? Well, because it's a cultural cuss word. <laughs> uh, if it's submission, it equals abuse in our culture. Um, and what that does, it, it is the enemy who has taken what can be a glorious reality and has perverted it in our eyes. But what if there's a king? What if there's a king who demands your submission, but does not demand it for his own sense of self-worth. He does not demand it so that he can feel powerful. He demands it so that you can feel loved. I want to submit to that, right? Folks, the whole point of Luke 9, verses 23 and following, the whole point... Jesus calls us into submission so that we gain him, right? 
It's so that we gain him. Notice the language. Jesus says, verse 23, deny yourselves, even die to yourselves daily so that you do what? Follow me. Yeah. The whole point. He's like, you got to die to yourself to get to me. You can't keep in step with me. You can't touch my presence if you're not dying to you. That's the whole point. You can't follow in my way. You can't gain me if you're not dying to you. Or other texts of Scripture say you can't serve two masters. Right? You can't do that. Or verse 24, he says it again, just in a different way. Lose your life. For whose sake? His sake. He's not just saying, obey me, lose yourself. For my sake. It's not just speaking of like a moral instruction. Because I told you to, you better do this. The idea is you died to you for my sake, for me. You do it so you gain me. You do it so you encounter me. You do it so you apprehend me. You gotta lose you in order to gain me, Jesus is saying. It's like basic Christianity 101. I don't know where we have gone off on this. It is a sad reality where the church stands today. Maybe to say it another way is this. We don't get the right to pull the crown off his head. We don't get the right to pull him off his throne just because it's wrong. You don't get the right to be stealing away his glory just because it's wrong, but because you will inevitably forfeit him. You see, we, we're always thinking in, did I do right or did I do wrong? And we're, we're missing it. We put this idea of morality and duty-oriented stuff first and foremost, and we miss the picture entirely. It's not about doing things for doing's sake. It's not about not doing things for not doing's sake. It's for gaining him. There's no command in Scripture that God places upon us that isn't for the express purpose that we would gain more of him. He's calling us into himself. The point is, is that we can grieve his presence. We can rob ourselves of proximity to him who is the fountain of life. And we cannot begin to think that we... That if you cannot die to self, that you won't also then be reaching for the crown. Catch it? If you're not dying to self, you're inevitably reaching for his crown. There is no neutral in the Christian life. We're all driving stick shift uphill. Right? You're either moving forward or you're drifting backwards. You're either dying to self to gain him or you're reaching for his crown. There's just no other option. You are either pursuing yieldedness to the person and presence of the king, or the self is reaching for his crown. You see, furthermore, the, the world will say that this idea of surrender and submission is the result of having lost. I've been dominated. I've been proven weak. It's a negative thing, this idea of submission. But in the kingdom... Surrender and submission is the place of having won. It's with surrender, it's with yieldedness to Christ that we gain Christ, the fountain of life. It's this posture of ongoing yieldedness 
where we actually can continue now to drink of his presence, take in his abundance, and actually participate in his victory. This is where true freedom is found. The door into freedom has to happen through the gateway of surrender. The Christian life is one of active, daily submission to Jesus. There's just no other way around it. As Bill Johnson says, I'm going to name his name, he says, surrender is actively saying yes before God even speaks. This posture of surrender is constantly living in a way in which you're just, you've already said yes to the Lord. Nothing is getting in the way. He hasn't even spoken. He hasn't even said, I want this of you. He hasn't even done that, but you're just in a As soon as he speaks, I'm saying yes to that. Nothing gets to confuse that. Nothing gets in the way. Well, you know, Jesus, I, I got a few other things I need to tend to first. So if you could just hold that desire, Lord, uh, I'll, I'll get back to you. There's none of that. Surrender is this yes before he even says anything. Whatever you say is going to happen. Whatever you say, I'm walking out. Whatever you say, I'm giving myself to it. That is active surrender. Now, you just take that idea and you compare it to the normal stuff of everyday life. My heart is filled with all kinds of wants and desires. Stupid stuff, right? Not even bad stuff, just dumb stuff. Like, you know, it, it's, I find myself watching sports uh, interviews. Not bad. It's not bad. But I can find myself getting sucked away into this hole of not even being aware of the presence of the Lord in those moments. Right? If he would, if he would say, so, Dan, here's what I want of you, I wouldn't even hear it. I'd be just so, okay, this, oh, this is what's happening with that team, and this is what's happening, and it's not, there's, not, there's nothing wrong with that. It's not evil, but I've already stepped off the altar of surrender. I don't have an attentive yes to what he's saying. Why? Because I'm already so busy, focused on everything else. It's so simple. It's so simple, and, it, and it's so active in the everyday. It's like we don't even realize it. And this is another point that I hope helps you. Jesus knows that it's a learning process for us. He knows it. Right? He knows this is going to be an, an awareness kind of training for you. Awareness of your heart, awareness of his presence, listening in to what he wants in the moments. It's going to be a training experience. You ain't going to get it like that. But the fact that it's a process doesn't give you excuse to then just do what you want. You know what I'm saying? All right, I got to keep rolling. Uh, I just want to remind you, he is not calling us into submission for submission's sake. Once again, He's calling us in. He's training us to say yes before he speaks because he wants us to have more and more of him. He's the point. He's the purpose. He's ultimately the reward. Now, this is specifically why 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, just follow with the line of logic. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 says that his commandments... His expectations of us are not, anybody know it, burdensome. That troubles me quite often. <laughs> Jesus, what you're asking of me right now is not burdensome? I feel it very burdensome. <laughs> this is not going well. This is not easy. Right? You're calling me into places of faith that I'm, I got like no idea 
I, I need to feel control in these moments. I need to feel more strength in these moments. You're calling me into what is a very vulnerable experience, and, and Lord, this seems a little bit burdensome. What am I supposed to do with this? But it's true. His commandments are not burdensome if he's the one that we gain through that work of submission. You see it? Yeah, there may be tensions, but there's only tensions because you still hasn't been crucified. Right? You is still at play. And as soon as you gets surrendered and you recognize Jesus is the reward, then all of a sudden the work becomes oh, not burdensome whatsoever. I, get, I gain him through it. I gain more of him through that. He, he becomes the reward. And that makes that journey so easy. What the Lord will command of us, what he will call us to submit to, is, is a variety of things, if I could just categorize a, th- a few and put them before you, as I think is relevant to who, where we've been as a church. He will command us in terms of holiness. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all, all your conduct. Let everything in your life be checked by the character and conduct of holy Jesus. What would Jesus do becomes a great phrase. Be holy as he is holy. Or the second category, Jesus will command his church in terms of her unity. Ephesians 4, verse 15 says, Speak the truth in love to one another, so we might grow up into Christ. Or Philippians 2, 3, In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. So you have holiness, you have commands that we are to maintain the unity of the church in our humility to one another, But then scripture will also command us of our own participation. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Do not neglect to meet together as the habit of some is, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Acts chapter uh, 2 and Hebrews 3 will talk about the daily expectations of the church to be encouraging one another. Daily. So holiness, unity, participation, and there's more things that Jesus requires of us, but these are just kind of the basic categories. These are his expectations. These are things that he says, come on, child, submit to these once again so that you might gain me. All these commandments are not to be burdensome. Now, As I close, a few thoughts. Why is the church today seemingly so burdened by what Jesus requires of it? Why is the church today seemingly so burdened by what Jesus requires of it? To me, it's like the church, of course, all those other churches, not not us, all them, right? The church has resorted to a place of complacency. And it's done so by justifying its own inactivity with various reasons until the church's inaction becomes reasonable. You follow that? Or as James says, it becomes cultural to the church. It becomes then also the ceiling to which any new life will grow. Because new folks will come in, young in the faith, and say, look at everyone else. What are they doing? Oh, they hear, they hear the preaching. 
They hear the teaching. They hear talk about Jesus and what he's calling us into. But then, no action. New life can't grow confused with those dynamics at play. And the way I see it is, if the commandments of Christ are burdensome to you or to me, I know this by, like, because this functions in my own heart and life, if they are burdensome to me or to you, God's commandments, you will and I will find every excuse to skirt and sidestep his commands and justify ourselves in doing it. And when challenged, we tend to get personal and perhaps even petty or preferential. It's like the secondary matters that were mentioned last week and perhaps nuanced moments over time become monumental issues. And while some of those things may be legitimately deserving of conversation, while some of that may be deserving of even correction, we have to get back to why these commandments are so burdensome in the first place. Maybe you say they're burdensome, um, and again, I'm speaking to our conversations, right? Maybe you say they're burdensome because you're blasting us from the pulpit. You're making it burdensome. James and I have felt that this season of church life is deserving of the urgency with which we are preaching. From each one of the categories that I mentioned earlier, from the holiness piece to the unity piece to the participation piece. There has been sin at work within this church that should not even be named among the world. There have been issues of unity, unspoken, Issues of offense, probably spoken in quiet in certain circles, but not spoken to the ones whom you feel offended by. That goes in more than one direction, by the way. And of course, participation. You, we've watched over time now just the participation kind of fall off. And there are other factors. COVID has made us kind of sluggish in some ways, maybe. Maybe. But nonetheless, through all of that, we have felt that it is necessary to be very firm in how we're preaching. I will say this, I'm more concerned for the folks in our congregation who need comfort rather than correction. I pray for you. I pray for you that what comes from this pulpit does not crush you. I pray for you that the Lord would take what's said here and bring it rightly upon your heart in the particular situations and circumstances that you find yourself. It's like, I just want to say, be free, child, be free. But for others who may need correction, it needs to be felt. If you would let me answer that question, why are the commandments of the Lord seemingly so burdensome to us? This is the way I'd answer it in general. It's because somehow we've separated the work from the reward. We've somehow separated the work of submission and obedience from the reward of Christ and his manifest presence. We've somehow assumed that submission to the commands of Christ are some end in themselves. But once again, it's the commands of Christ that are to be understood as a pursuit of Christ himself with high expectations that Christ will reveal himself. 
Christ will be made known. The fountainhead, he's going to quench our thirst. The beloved one will again captivate our awe. The king of glory will usher us up into greater degrees of glory. Our work, whether in pursuing holiness as a church, our work in pursuing unity as a church, our work in being present with the church is for the express purpose of pursuing and encountering the living Christ. You cannot separate the work from the reward. Now, if this is true, how have we come to this point? Right? How, how have we come to this point by thinking that, okay, this is more about duty than the gaining of God himself? How have we separated the work from the reward? Well, I have two ideas, general ideas. First is ignorance. We just don't know all that there is of God to encounter. And perhaps we've been taught that. I've been taught that. Don't expect much <laughs> from the Lord. Just kind of hold everything on some sort of plateau living where your Christianity, can, you can feel good about it because you're just doing some basic things. I, I keep hearing the same testimonies over and over again of people who have given themselves to active work within the church. They've, they, they, they've gotten all the degrees. They've studied everything. They know things so well, and yet inwardly their spiritual life is this shallow. You, you, can, you can ask them the catechism questions. You can ask them the Bible trivia stuff. You can ask them specifics about the gospel message, and they could give you answers. They could say things that are actually really uh, encouraging. Oh, you know, how do you know these things about the Lord? But their inner life is this shallow. Their prayer life is about this wide. What they will actively do to pursue the Lord is actually something that is largely diminished. And people, again and again, I'm hearing the testimonies. I finally had to readjust my perspective. That I would not just pursue him with my mind. That I'd just not pursue him with doing, uh, you know, a bunch of activities that I think are, but get back to the basics of what he's actually called me to do. Prayer being a basic one. So I think in some ways, ignorance has led the church to this place of separating the work from the reward. We've taught it. We've kind of, uh, perhaps in some ways folks have also pursued it, but just have been frustrated with the pursuit. Well, I never, I never got to the point where you're saying that there's an encounter. If that's the case, you short-circuited the process. He promises to meet you as you pursue him. Maybe there's things in your life that still have to die. Maybe there's things that you still got to kind of clear the windshield of your life a bit in order to pursue him. Like, there's things in which you got to put your foot on the gas a bit. Stop living in neutral. I, we, cannot, we cannot live by what is seemingly our experience. We have to live according to the word of God. That's the expectation he places upon us. So, ignorance, I just don't know any better. I, I've tried and I'm kind of discouraged by it. And, and, and so we've forgotten or we don't know the promises of God that he is one who wants to be encountered. But secondly, and we got to go here, there's defiance. I, I, the Christian life is burdensome just because you don't want him. You don't want him. You don't want to give up your control, your ambitions, your dreams, your wants, your sin. And so you're intentionally not willing to be, if we could say it that way, that fool for Christ. You, you, you don't have the yes before he speaks. There are plenty of other yeses that you've prostituted yourself out to. 
And you like keeping him at that distance. You like it because there you can maintain your own life as you want it. But I'll warn you, you're reaching for the crown. I have to say these hard things. Not because that I think every person in here is in this active defiance against God. But because in our history as a church, there have been plenty of moments, plenty of moments where this defiance was active. And in the moments, we're not aware. We're not aware that it's happening. And so I still have to bring that heavy thing to you. Because it's also like, hey, we need our hearts checked. Let these things fall on you, not just saying, oh man, that was hard to take, but like, lean in then. Lean in all the more, because this is what our hearts will do. I don't know, I'm not that put together that I could just kind of exist on my own. I have to be pressing in. I can't stick the, the stick shift in neutral. I won't be staying there very long, drifting back. And so I have to put this before you. Sometimes it's ignorance, sometimes it's straight up defiance. But folks, here's the good thing about it. Come back to it. Jesus is willing to work with you wherever you're at. And once again, he's not saying, child, I expect this and that and the other thing. And, and he's, he's willing to work with what you will give him. But I dare say, if you give him something, you better be ready to bring the yes to his word because he's going to call more of you to himself. He's not good with a portion of you, although the Christian life might begin there. He's going to be saying, nope, I want more, I want more. And he's saying that not to be hard on you because he wants to give you more of himself. That's the kingdom exchange. All of you for all of him. That's what he's calling us into. If you're like, yeah, I'm thinking about being a member of the church or like maybe you've kind of been a member. All right, this is bare bones stuff. Are we going to give ourselves to actively submitting to Jesus so that we might gain him? I'm hungry for that. Even just coming in this morning, I'll be straight. Like, you know, the, the Lord, as you pursue him, he sometimes will actually be silent. And it's like, I don't like this. I need to hear something, Lord. I need to hear something. I need something to pop off the pages, right? And there I am, just reading, reading, reading. But Lord, here's my heart. Like, and so I'm evaluating, Lord, is there anything in my way, right? Did I take myself off the altar? But also, as, as he was so kind, it's just like, Dan, I, I, I want you, I want to be able to trust you just with my presence, uh, the illustration uh, recently was like in a, in a, in a cross-country car ride. You know, you go with your friend, and there's going to be great moments of interaction, and then there's going to be moments of, well, we're just in proximity to one another. We're just enjoying one another's presence. There may not be anything being said, but there he is. Dan, I just want to trust you, like, with my presence. Can I just be with you in the ride? <laughs> Do I always have to be giving you a zinger? Are you good just being with me? It's what he's calling us into, folks. Oh, how he wants us to be with him and how he wants to be with us. So let's pray into it. Lord, thank you. Uh, for your kindness to us. Thank you once again, Lord, that uh, 
that you're so kind to work with where we're at. Thank you that you are um, so kind to be even jealous for us. Jealous for our attention. Thank you that you, you value our attention. You actually want our eyes to be set upon you. You want our hearts to be set upon you. Thank you that you're, you're not good <laughs> until, uh, in some sense, we're all in. So, Lord, I just, I just pray for us as a church family that what's happening in these times... Lord, that you would stir up in us just this insatiable hunger for you. And that at every turn, we'd be ready to say yes. Lord, grace us with that posture of submission, surrender to you. Wear the crown, Jesus. Wear the crown. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.